0: Hi, guys. Nate here from Cagecast. Just want to let you know that we started this podcast a long time ago with love in our hearts, but not a lot of technical knowledge. Some of the audio and the editing might be a little rough in these first few episodes. So please enjoy them for what they are.
1: And know that we get better with age.
0: Like a fine cheese. Or wine. That is all.
1: Thanks for your support.
0: Bye.
2: Hi. Hi. Charlie (laughs) on your sweater. (laughs) That's great, isn't it? Wow, it's really 50s.
3: It's like you clash with the whole world.
2: Hey, what's the fun of being a teenager if you can't dress weird?
3: I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage And run going to break i'm
2: going to break my going to break my rusty cage
0: hello and welcome to cage cast the podcast that joyfully dissects the filmography of one of america's most unique and engaging leading men nicholas cage i'm nate porter and with me is brit porter Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Brit. Nate. And everyone.
1: Uh, here is how CageCast works for those of you unfamiliar with our format. We are in the process of watching every Nicolas Cage film in order according to the film's official release date. We will review every film in which Nicolas Cage had either a starring role or an integral supporting role. And this week, we'll be watching the 1986 classic, Peggy Sue Got Married.
0: I would say he actually has an integral supporting role in this film. Wouldn't you say, Britt?
1: Oh, I don't know. I guess he's not the lead. He's not the title character, but...
0: So, is he integral to the story?
1: Well, yes, of course he is. But he could be a a co-star? Mm, No. Well, all right.
0: So we'll break down the film's plot and themes, and then afterward, we'll rate each film on a scale of 0 to 4 in three different categories. The film as entertainment, the film as art, and then in terms of Cage's actual performance. Last week, our cumulative score for The Boy in Blue was 6 out of 24, or 2.5 out of 10, oh, which brings it in as the worst Nick Cage movie out of the four that we've reviewed thus far. Uh, The question is, will Peggy Sue Got Married claim the top spot this week? You'll have to listen to find out. And
1: as a reminder, we do not share our scores with each other before the show. So you find out when we find out.
0: Right. So if Britt's wrong, you get that in real time. Yes. Or if I'm wrong. (laughs) Or if you're wrong. Hasn't happened yet, but it may. There's a first for
1: everything. We also round out the show with our patented CageCast Running Totals Rapid Fire Questionnaire.
0: That's my favorite part of the show. Hey, Britt. What? We're on iTunes. Woohoo! Yes. Uh, if you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, please go leave us feedback yes, on iTunes. Yes,
1: please, um, please. I get
0: the stats back. We know people are listening. So here's what you do: put down the mouse, put down that turkey sandwich or whatever type of sandwich you're eating right now, and go to iTunes and leave us a five star review.
1: Yes, please. This is also a good time to remind you that our listener push is coming up for our. Raising Arizona podcast. We really want to get the word out there. So follow Uh, us on Twitter. Is that your impression of... from the
0: movie. Go ahead. Don't let me interrupt you. Keep going. That's your
1: impression of the soundtrack? Yeah. You're giving them a preview of your thoughts? Keep
0: going. I'll just intersperse it. Go ahead. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can follow us on Twitter. We're at CageCast. Post our show on your Facebook page. Leave us feedback. You know, whatever... It takes to get the word out there. Your high praise on iTunes will really help us, too.
0: Now, to be clear, we would do this podcast if no one listened at all. Really? We would? If no one listened? Well, I mean, we'd do it if five people listened. And we have several more than five people listening. We have, like eight people listening at this wow. point. I know. Wow. I uh, Wow. That being said, this really is kind of a journey we're embarking on. We'd love for people to follow along with us at home, to get involved, to help America kind of rediscover what's great or not great about Nicolas Cage. Uh, it might seem a little silly, but ultimately, this podcast is probably as important as anything else going on out there. So yeah, listen, uh, tell your friends and help us get the word out.
1: Okay. With all the pleasantries out of the way, let's get to Peggy Sue Got Married. Here are some stats.
0: Uh, I'm done.
1: That's not Peggy Sue. It's not going to
0: happen again. Um, So this movie came out October 10th, 1986, and Nick Cage had just turned 22 years old. So he must have shot this when he was 21. Okay. Kathleen Turner was almost 32 when this came out. So 10 years of difference there. Just saying.
1: What are you saying? I
0: don't know. The budget was about fifteen million and it made actually over forty one million, which is about eighty million today. So a big hit. A big hit. Yeah. His biggest hit so far?
1: I think so. I think it tops Valley Girl.
0: Yeah, Valley Girl was only like seventeen million.
1: Notable co stars for this one, obviously Kathleen Turner. Yes. Who many of you should know, listeners, but in case you don't know who she is, she had quite the series of hot picks back in the 80s with Body Heat, Romancy the Stone, War of the Roses.
0: I mean, I, I kind of she forgot. She's also the voice of Jessica Rabbit. Right. Randall. I mean, I kind of forgot how big of a star she was there for a few years.
1: Yeah. And hot, too. She hot was, as in attractive. She was a looker. I wouldn't yes.
0: speak of a woman that way, but she was uh, attractive.
1: Yes. But, you know, unfortunately, she's kind of had a long fall into somewhat mannish obscurity.
0: Yeah, she... uh Britt told me that she played Chandler's dad, the drag queen on Friends. Yes, and I had to admit that I did not know a that that was Kathleen Turner, and b that that was a woman. <laughs> oh no! I know, I know, and That's she's a so sad. beautiful in this movie. So it's uh, it's too bad. I mean, well, you know, it's it's not it's like the aging We process. don't judge. We don't judge no. people on no. how they look. Who else was in this movie, Britt?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked, Nate. We also have Joan Allen, for one.
0: Okay. Yeah, she's a real actress. I'm
1: a big fan of hers. She's actually been up for three Academy Awards for some of them. Yeah,
0: I remember seeing her in The Contender. Yes, uh, I saw that too. Jeff Bridges as the president. Um, She was a nominee. And she was the vice presidential nominee. And she was great. She was great. Kind of who knew... Um, that their little sidekick buddies in this movie would go on to such illustrious careers.
1: I know. And then speaking of which, Jim Carrey is also a sidekick buddy. That's right. It's kind of
0: weird to see him in you know kind of a nothing role in this, kind of a throwaway role. But honestly, he's probably, besides Nick Cage, the biggest eventual star to come out of this movie.
1: Yeah, I would say that. And he's certainly entertaining in his role. I mean, it's not for nothing that he's been cast in this. I found him very entertaining in his role.
0: Yeah, no, I think he was pretty good. Yeah. So the director, obviously, was Francis Ford Coppola, huge director, one of the best uh, working directors uh, in American history. Um, You all know what he's done, but Apocalypse Now, The Godfather, uh, 1 and 2, we'll forget about 3, but he's done The Conversation and The Outsiders and Dracula. He's just one of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, Awards. This movie was nominated for three Oscars. It was nominated for Cinematography, um costume design and Kathleen Turner was nominated for Best Actress in a motion picture. She did not win, but it also was nominated for Golden Globes. She was too. So so obviously the critical reception was very good, uh, especially for Kathleen Turner's performance.
1: And as far as genre goes, we are still in the lovably dopey cage era. Yes. which Firmly
0: ensconced.
1: Yes. And and it seems (laughs) to be sort of a, a pervasive theme for his early work, probably because he was young and... doesn't I don't mean know, bad
0: acting. It just means no. he's, that's kind of the role he's played in a few of these movies. And I was trying to think of any other role or genre that he might encapsulate in his performance, but really, lovably dopey kind of sums it up in this movie.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd say without question, that's who he is. There we go. The soundtrack is great this week. Features some excellent doo groups, so... Might want to check that out if you're a fan of the of the hits. And we even see some singing from uh, Cage himself. And
0: if you're lucky listeners, we might even share that with you coming up. Ooh, Ooh teaser. Yeah.
1: We all love a good clip. Listen to the whole
0: show this time. Wow. Oh yeah. Anyway, uh Coming up next, we will break down Peggy Sue Got Married. But first, the titular song, (laughs) Buddy Holly, uh, seeing what actually was a revelation for me. I love this song now. I've listened to it probably ten times since we watched this movie. This is Peggy Sue Got Married.
2: Please don't tell, no, 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 don't say that I told you so. I just heard a rumor from a friend I don't say that it's true I'll just leave that up to you If you don't believe I'll understand you recall a girl that's been in nearly every song this is what i heard of course the story could be wrong she's the one i've been told no she's wearing a band of gold peggy sue got married not long ago
1: thanks for joining us listeners we are here to review peggy sue got married Um, Nate, what is your history with this movie? You know,
0: I've got to be honest. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie, probably because when I think of Nick Cage, I've kind of shied away from his more kind of romantic comedy roles, chick flicks and that kind of thing. It's just, I've been more of the action cage and maybe the more serious cage, but maybe not, you know, it's not something I would have sought out before this podcast.
1: All right. Fair enough.
0: First time I've seen it. How about you?
1: You know, I actually have seen this a number of times in my life. I would say I've probably seen it ten different times, but that spans quite a few years. Um, and certainly in bits and pieces. Not, not didn't remember every single little detail, but remembered enough of the film to sort of know what I was getting myself into. Okay. I think, I think my my preconceived notions might, uh, might not have carried me through the movie. So well,
0: I am, uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say.
1: We, we'll get there for I sure. Am,
0: I am intrigued. So let's break this down. So let's do a quick plot synopsis and get to our review. We meet Peggy Sue as she is preparing for her 25-year high school reunion. Her daughter is accompanying her, not her high school sweetheart Charlie, because the couple is recently separated due to Charlie's infidelity. The reunion is as awkward as Peggy Sue had imagined, and it culminates in Peggy Sue fainting on stage after being named Class Reunion Queen.
1: She awakes on a cot in her high school gymnasium, but not in the present. She has been transported back in time and is living her life again as a high school senior. She reunites with all her old school pals, with her family, and with Charlie. Charlie is idealistic and dreams of fame as a singer, something that Peggy Sue knows will never happen.
0: Charlie relates his plan to her for a strategic breakup after graduation, and Peggy Sue, still conflicted about her feelings for Charlie, decides to break it off immediately. She enjoys being back in school and the novelty of reliving her youth again. She also befriends Richard Norvik, a high school nerd who becomes a billionaire in the future.
1: Peggy Sue's parents are worried about her erratic behavior and encourage her to go to a party with Charlie. At the party, we see Charlie's musical group sing to the delight of all in attendance. Peggy finds herself infatuated with Charlie again and attempts to sleep with him. He is shocked and confused at her aggressiveness and quickly ends the date.
0: Not ready to call it a night, she wanders into a donut shop where she begins flirting with Michael, a beatnik poet whom she always wished she had slept with. They go for a ride on his motorcycle, he reads her poetry, and then they have sex as the evening ends.
1: Charlie quickly hears of the affair and confronts Peggy Sue about it. Mm. She breaks up with Charlie for good and returns to Michael, only to find that he has plans for her to be one of his multiple wives on a chicken ranch in Utah. Peggy decides she should not see either of the boys and instead attempts to find a way back to the future.
0: Back to the future. Sounds sounds familiar. Uh, Her grandfather, as it turns out, is a member of a Masonic lodge where he brings her and where, through an ancient ceremony, they attempt to return her soul to the present. Charlie rushes in and saves her and gives her a locket as a present. This helps her realize that without Charlie, she would not have had her children and that ultimately she still does love Charlie despite his faults. They make love, I think. And after that, she falls asleep, which is normal, and she wakes up in the present in a hospital room where she has been in a coma for a few days. As the film ends, she decides to allow Charlie an opportunity to win her back, having found a new appreciation for how much he really does love her. Aww. The end. What is this film about, Brett?
1: That's a good question. And, and in fact, listeners, we had a little bit of a conversation about this at the end of our viewing. I think that this film is about just, I think, getting the opportunity to do what a lot of us would want to do, which is go back in time and sort of the what would you tell your younger self? Or if I only knew then what I know now, you know, how would you live differently? And I think that that's a part of the movie, just sort of exploring, you know, not only what that would mean, but would that change anything for you ultimately? Would the outcome of your future or your destiny be any different if you could take all of those years and experiences and go back in time to a younger you?
0: Certainly this film explores a lot of those topics, and we'll obviously get into that. But um, I found this movie to be, while it was a, a simple kind of teenage high school comedy, and almost, I dare say, a female version of Back to the Future, Uh, which this came out a year after Back to the Future. So uh, maybe coincidence, maybe not. What I do think is that there are some deeper themes here to be explored than just kind of a dismissible teenage comedy and Nick Cage with a silly voice.
1: And I will say this. I think Kathleen Turner does a really good job of pulling off sort of exploring some of these themes. You know, we talked about the fact that she's 10 years older than her Her co-star her counterpart in this film and i think that you definitely need someone with a little bit more life lived to play the role of a woman who is looking through the eyes of a 40 year old with all this life experience i mean there's a lot there for an actress to have to pick up and communicate to the audience. So there's a lot of nuance there.
0: Yeah. And I think Kathleen Turner did a great job. And I guess in true fashion, I can see why she was nominated for an Academy Award. She does really, really well. I don't necessarily think she should have won, but it is a very, very good performance. So let's get into this. Uh, We start the movie uh, with a very, very interesting camera shot. And this shot actually bookends the movie. It's the same shot in the first scene and the last scene. Um, we start zoomed in, and as the camera zooms out, we see we are actually been looking at a reflection in the mirror. It's, it's really interesting that, that the director chooses to use this shot, both at the beginning and the end, maybe like bookends of a fairy tale,
1: we are zooming into a reality that is a little bleak for Peggy Sue. She's getting ready for her high school reunion, but she's there with her daughter who's going to be accompanying her and not with her husband. And in fact, we see Nicolas Cage, Charlie, in a car,
0: in a (laughs) TV commercial. In an appliance commercial. He's like, he is that guy who's like, Crazy Charlie with crazy prices. I'm going to go out of business. I'm selling this stuff for so cheap. I mean, that's he really is that guy.
1: Right. And so the opening scene of the camera zoomed in is on this TV that's blaring this Crazy Charlie commercial. And then as it pans out, we see the TV's on. We're looking through a mirror, and it's Peggy Sue getting ready for her reunion. But her reality is pretty sad. And you get that with the first 30 seconds of the movie. She's talking to her daughter about how she doesn't want to go to this thing and... Gonna it's going to be awkward, and you get. No one's going to be asking
0: questions, right? And,
1: and you get within the first minute the story, which right. is that she and Shirley are getting divorced because he's right.
0: cheated on her.
1: Peggy Sue's getting ready to go to this reunion with her daughter. She doesn't want to go, but but her daughter, who's played by Helen Hunt, by the way, right? We was, didn't we didn't mention her as a notable co star. She's a a cameo role as Peggy Sue's very daughter. Very
0: Helen Hunt. Yeah. two years older than Nick Cage in this movie.
1: Ironic. Anyway, they go to the reunion, and the first time we see a live representation of Cage, he's coming down the stairs into the gym where the reunion's taking place.
0: Right. And you can tell that he is a local celebrity. He is known as this appliance guy. He's on TV with these commercials. He's Crazy Charlie. Uh, with his crazy prices, but he seems pretty trepidatious. He seems like he's not making a big spectacle of himself. He's kind of walking on eggshells a little bit. Did you pick up on that?
1: You sort of have this impression that he's a lowlife and the cheesy appliance king. It's kind of comical i right. i, I, I mean, get he's it he's more like
0: dirty and scruffy than he old,
1: is right he and is I
0: found that you know to be honest you know to get talk about this reunion a little bit it's a very stereotypical reunion movie scene. You see all the key people that obviously are going to be coming back when you go back to the past. And they're none of them look old. They all look, you know, in their mid twenties, um, maybe with a little bit of gray hair or makeup or something like that. One of them is in a wheelchair, but uh, you know, nothing's too impressive. It's very, fairly generic.
1: Yeah, and I would say it helps inform the story of Charlie and Peggy Sue and who they were and who they are now, and sort of the disconnect between what everyone thought they would be back in high school with with the reality of what they have become, I guess you could say. It sort of sets a nice tension in place for the rest of the story. At the reunion, Peggy Sue is nominated for, I guess it's a, like reunion queen, sort yeah, of like prom, of the world. prom king and right. queen type deal. And she has a nervous breakdown of sorts, but she essentially faints on stage. Right. She's... And that, I think, is just a a tool to get us from the present to the past. She wakes up, and now it's 1960, and she's a high school senior again.
0: Right. And I want to talk about this a little bit. Obviously, there's a sci-fi element to this movie. It really doesn't set it up like this is a dream. It sets it up like she's actually back there. There are ramifications in the future that play out due to her specific interactions that she has uh, here in the past. And so and none of that is explained, unless I miss something. Britt?
1: No, I agree. I mean, now in in the sci-fi genre, we're so used to having a vehicle. I hear what you're saying, and I think we're used to seeing something of that nature to get us to the time travel, or to the alternate universe, or wherever it is we're going, but it doesn't, you know, trip me up in any way.
0: Okay, so now she wakes up, and she's on a cot, back at her old high school in the same gym that she just fainted in, but it's in 1960. Okay. So, well, she faints in the future and then she fainted in the past and somehow time m- matched up and, and she skipped across whatever we meet Charlie as a young man. And oh my Britt, I uh, took me about half the movie to decide whether Nicholas cage is a genius or a complete idiot. Why did I have that question?
1: Because he introduces, in this character, Charlie, the most insane voice I think I've ever heard.
2: Blah. Blah. Charlie? Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. I want to suck your blood. I also want to suck your twinkie. Am I dead? No. You are the undead. Come on, let's have it. You hate me anyway.
0: I mean, folks, you've probably seen the movie. It's been out for 25 years as of a few days ago. And the choice he makes is just outlandish. Now, I will say I had to go back. After we watched this movie, I did some research. It was totally his choice. Nick Cage later said in interviews that he based his voice off... Pokey from The Gumby Show. I don't know exactly why he did this, but he obviously saw the script, saw the character, and wanted to do something different with it. Now, the studio hated this decision. They pressured uh, Coppola to fire Nick Cage. Um, Coppola kind of wanted to fire Nick Cage, uh, but Cage convinced uh, his uncle that this was a good choice and a different choice. I will say this, and I've given this a lot of thought. If this character was played by a different actor, were Nick Cage playing it straight, it would not be an interesting character. There's nothing interesting about Charlie on his outset. He's kind of this dopey kid who wants to be a singer, and that's it. Nick Cage gives us something to latch on to, and every time he's on the screen, you are transfixed because you cannot believe what you're seeing. Am I on to something here?
1: I don't know. I don't know if I can buy that. I I agree with what you're saying, that he definitely brings a certain je ne sais quoi to Charlie with the voice. I also want to mention his bouffant hair is a wonder to behold. It is something. It is a blonde helmet
0: And he wore fake teeth as well.
1: Right. So he's got these big curly whites and this big hair and this voice. It's so, almost like
0: if you watch like those old film strips from the 50s, it's kind of the stereotypical 50s guy with the weird hair and the kind of weird voice. And it's almost like Nick Cage looked at that character, made him a cartoon character and amped him up by a thousand percent. Yeah. And that's who this Charlie guy is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And so do I, do I think you're onto something with the voice? I don't know. I I think it's, Outlandish to be sure. It's a little crazy, which, as you, we all know, listeners, is is typical for Cage to do something crazy. But
0: this is the farthest out he's gone.
1: Yeah. This is probably one of the biggest risks that we've seen to date. You know, there's a lot of parts to this movie that are really goofy. And to just discuss some sort of isolated in and of themselves, they are really silly. They're really goofy. But if you look at the whole film and you sort of try to understand, I think, what Coppola is trying to do they actually, those goofy pieces actually all work together in in conjunction with each other. And, you know, I'll go there with Charlie's voice, but I'm not as excited about his decision, maybe, as you
0: are, Nate. Okay, Well, well, we can obviously talk about that more when we get into the, are we rating his performance? So, we're back at the school, we meet Charlie, he's doing a Dracula impersonation. Obviously, Nick Cage goes on in his career to do Vampire's Kiss very famously, and his choices there. So I see a tie-in between these kind of two personas, but we know um, right off the bat that this Charlie kid is pretty weird.
1: He's just clowning. He's clowning that's around. Just part of, that's just part of the stereotype. He's just a clowning high school boy. Right. So, yes, she goes home, and there's a series of sort of very touching moments with her mother and her sister and spending time with her family. She gets drunk.
0: Right. It's very actually... Interesting to see her. She's definitely acting like the 40 something year old woman that she is and kind of really enjoying the novelty of living out life in this 18 year old's world, but being who she is with all of her experiences. I thought these scenes were really fun.
1: She's getting drunk on her father's liquor and then just sort of telling him, Yeah, I'm a little bit drunk, where I think any 18 year old would typically try to hide that from their dad. She just tells him and it's, you know, shocked. Yeah, she knows and- ultimately
0: it's not a really big deal in the, in the grand scheme of things, where if you were 18 years old, you would be Your horrified would be over. to admit it, right. exactly. So, so- it, it, I, I love, you know, it could be a throwaway scene, but just the subtle things like that, you know, they're really well done. And that's one of the reasons I really like this movie. Just the details are pitch perfect.
1: Yeah, I would agree. A lot of these scenes, I think, just sort of move us along in in her own journey of figuring out Where she's at with, you know, in particular Charlie and her relationship with Charlie, because really the whole movie and the central relationship that this movie
0: revolves around is Charlie. So, where I might get bogged down in the nitty gritty nuts and bolts, like how is she going to get back? They talk about it a little bit, but really it's about the relationship.
1: Yeah. She she encounters Richard Norvick back at school, who is, you know, firmly entrenched in, in being the nerd at this point in his life. And she has to sort of convince him she's not fooling with him. But she sort of starts a sidebar relationship or conversation with him that's ongoing throughout the movie that mm-hmm. talks about, you know, not only time travel and, and how to get her back. And yes, she is from the future. But she also sort of tries to embark with him on several money-making schemes. schemes
0: yes. That talks are... All that the are, things in the future. Yes. Right. I think she
1: talks about pantyhose and... Well,
0: Portable radios, yep, yeah,
1: big ones, Walkmans, like just a whole series of of things that in 1986 were big and and explosive, and in 1960, no one had ever heard of. So let's talk about that relationship. So I think we see that Peggy Sue is really conflicted about by Charlie um, when she sees him next at school. He's sort of talking with her very earnestly about this plan, this what three-year plan that will culminate in them getting married, right, but, but first, includes but, yes, you know breaking pit stops. up,
0: breaking up, uh, seeing other people, com- comparison shopping. He right. He calls it but <laughs> compar- then realizing that they're meant once to be again, together. Nick Cage uh, patented uh, Nick Cage relationship advice. Uh, guys, break up with your woman and tell her that we'll get back in about three years once I, you know, play the field a little bit. Right, Ladies love that. That works with everybody. It makes complete sense.
1: Well, and it obviously does a number on Peggy Sue because she knows what's coming with this relationship if it continues on the trajectory, you know, that it's headed down. And so she says, well, let's just send things now. So there's a lot of this real back and forth where, She doesn't really, I think, want to have anything to do with Charlie initially when she has traveled back in time because she knows the Charlie. She's still mad at him. Yeah, absolutely. And he doesn't get it and he's very confused by her behavior, but he loves her with his only the lovably dopey cage type love. And- right.
0: This makes complete sense to him, his plan. He doesn't, it's not that he doesn't love her. He just thinks, well, for my music career to take off, I have to, can't have a girlfriend. And so, you know, this makes complete sense and we'll get back together and we'll settle down. And that's just how it should be. So
1: there's just a lot of this, the back and forth of Right. of her tell being when, conflicted. When,
0: when he's talking to her, he's just talking to her. When she's talking to him, she's putting his future face on him. Yeah, right? absolutely. I think so. Like she's talking to the future him.
1: Right. So there's a lot of school and home scenes where there's, you know, she's just, we're fleshing out this reality that she's in. And we see these scenes with Charlie where she's, you know, just really not settled in her relationship with him. They end up going to a party together, her friend's party. And this is, I think, where you start to see things turn a little bit for Peggy Sue. She's sort of, I think, willing maybe to um, see the better side of him.
0: You know, what happens is he sings, he comes out with his group and sings. Um, I Wonder Why by Deanna and the Belmonts. Right. And everyone freaks out.
1: But it's definitely, you know, she's there with her girlfriends there. All the boyfriends are in the in the singing group. And, and you know, she's, I think she's seeing again, oh, isn't he dreamy? Isn't he cute? Because all the girls around are freaking out. And, and they are. They're decent for, you know, for what that well, group and is Cage supposed to be. Nick Cage
0: obviously has a magnetic on-screen personality. And, obviously. And, and on-stage personality. So, that you know, that's undeniable.
1: But things definitely go south for her um, at the end of the party. So she and Charlie go parking. And I think she's sort of ready to, oh, you know, let's just go for it. And what does she say? Let's make love. You mean and, You mean sex? Yeah. We might have to play a clip here because this whole scene with. Okay.
0: We'll just do that. We'll let it speak for itself. Yeah.
1: Take, okay. take a listen and, and you make your own, form your own opinions.
2: Sounds good. But you were the one who said we should wait, and you were right. We should wait till we get married. Well, i, I know I must have believed that one, but when I said it, but doesn't Lucky Chucky want to come out? Huh? No. Your love machine. Your throbbing thrill hammer. Your thing. You mean my wang? What is this? What the hell is going on, Peggy Sue? One week you say, if you love me, you won't. The next week you say, if you love me, you will. That's a guy's line. So, as you can see,
1: things don't go so well for Peggy Sue and Charlie. I like think she plays the aggressor. He does not like that. Right. And he
0: ends up dropping her off and saying, You really know how to kill a mood. We were having, like, basically, we were having a great time just making out and being sexually frustrated. How dare you? Yeah, I know. (laughs) How dare you? Offer up gratification.
1: So here she is, I think, sort of attempting to rekindle any potential passion for Charlie. And of course, that just gets,
0: you know, kiboshed.
1: So she ends up at a donut shop where she sees Michael Fitzsimmons.
0: Oh, yes. He's dreamy
1: right and he's, he's this a bad boy we find out from from the reunion scene at the beginning of the movie that he is this sort of elusive you know smoldering poet boy that every all the girls loved so she and michael sort of hit it off and he's like the quintessential beatnik poet he he is longing to be kerouac and you know just go paint his own crimson rainbow
0: right and so in the they drive out into the night on his motorcycle and out in the middle of nowhere and he's talking about his raging rainbows of monkey fury cascading down and lightning bolts of passion or whatever whatever. i don't know
1: beat poet (laughs) his sad attempt at beat poet. she
0: basically she basically says shut up come here settle down and just let's have a good time
1: which they do which they do which they do how
0: did that make you feel brett i felt bad for Uh. charlie
1: Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I think she's sowing her wild oats, for better or worse. That is what this whole Michael Fitzsimmons jaunt is all about. Living this experience she always wanted to have, trying to get away from a destiny that seems to be pretty bleak. She's trying to break out of that.
0: Obviously, at some point, someone talked, and Charlie finds out. And he confronts Peggy Sue, like, climbs through a window, like, puts up a ladder and climbs through a window, and and it's actually kind of creepy. Like, he grabs a pillow, and it seems like he's going to smother her to death, like he's going to murder her. Is Am I reading this wrong?
1: No, I, I see that, too. It's in the middle of the night. He climbs up in the middle of the night, and he sits on her bed while she's sleeping, and he takes a pillow, and it looks like he wants to crush her face with it. But instead, he doesn't, thankfully. Yeah,
0: thankfully, I guess. He wakes
1: her up and they go down to the basement and sort of hash it out. Right. And that's where she sort of says, you know, I'm doing this for your own good. I want you to have a happy life. And it's not going to be
2: with me. Did we break up? Because if we did, I don't even know about it. Did that Maynard G. G beatnik give you what you wanted? You know, I hate your sarcasm. You're going to blow it, Peggy, so no one treats Charlie Bodell like this. Why do you have to talk about yourself in the third person like you were Napoleon? Why does everything have to be an argument with look, you? I've got the hair. I've got the teeth. I've got the eyes. Oh, Peggy, look outside that window. I've got the car. I'm the lead singer. I'm the man. Why are you arguing with me? It's over, Charlie, I don't want to hurt you. I want you to be happy. But no, I will be happy if I have you.
1: And he gets like emotional nasal voice, which is kind of comical. He's like got this nasal, ridiculous voice. He's had the entire movie and then he, he's like upset on top of that. It's just quite I the think combination. It, I think it.
0: he emotes. I liked it. I liked this scene. See, maybe this is just the difference between how we view the performance in this movie, because I thought he did really well. I mean, how do you portray a cartoon character of a 50s stereotype having genuine emotion? I mean, it's not going to be normal. It's going to be this. And whether it comes across as goofy or not, um, for me, it really works. Like this cartoon character is all of a sudden actually showing emotion. And he's talking to this girl about, did we break up? Because I missed it. And, um, and um you know, I, it's like I've got all these things going for me. He's confused. He's scared. He's actually in love with this girl. And she's tra- just pushing him away at every turn. He's been cheated on. And I don't know. For me, this whole scene is actually a little moving.
1: Wow. Well, you make some good points. I can't say much to counter them. I just... I think that the goof factor for me gets a little high. I, I agree with what you're saying that here is this—he is playing this young teenage boy who is a caricature. And how would you describe a caricature? You know, upset and breaking up with the love of his life. I get all of that, but I think it takes a little too far. It goes into the realm of just sort of giving a break. He's on the verge of unbelievable with the ch- uh, cheese factor, yes, but just with sort of the – he's just – he's on the verge for me of just – of it going
0: beyond good quality acting and into just the absurd. See, you know what? That's why it works for me the whole movie though because he's not believable ever. Like you never believe that this is a real person who would really act this way. He's a caricature from the, from the beginning. And so if you look at this performance in light of it's not a real person, it's – a performance, then the believability doesn't really enter into it because it's not believable anyway. He's not a a real guy. He is this bigger than life character. And so that's why I think this performance really does fit.
1: Well, so here's here's another issue I need to bring up. This is a choice that Cage, he really made these choices as far as how to play Charlie. And for better or worse, the studio and Coppola went with it, right? This is the finished product, is this version of Charlie. Kathleen Turner does not play Peggy Sue at all near the same level of cartoonery. She, she plays she Peggy plays Sue completely straight. straight. Completely. And I and I think it works.
0: Everyone else is straight. Everyone
1: else is straight. And I think, it com- I think it really works for Peggy Sue to have that quality to her because again, she is really an older woman trapped in this younger version of herself trying to come to terms with how her life turned out and the choices she's made and then maybe trying to change some of those things. So there's got to be some weight to to this character because she's not just an 18-year-old girl. She's a 43-year-old girl and an 18-year-old girl sort of simultaneously. So I think it works and I think it's necessary. But when you contrast the two and you get these two characters in a room where it, all that's happening is they're having a dialogue you know there's nothing else to sort of mellow out or balance out the crazy like and he is sort of on the verge of just going you know from a 10 to an 11 and she's like maintaining a 5 or a 6 as far as sort of that extreme characterization, it's hard. It's hard for me to reconcile those two characters and say, I mean, the whole time I'm sitting here going, what does she see in him? Why would she even want to date him in the first place? It made me wonder what her naive 18 year old self must have been like to see something in this guy that said, I want to, he is it for me. This is, this is what I'm doing, you know? And we don't get that. Obviously we get an experienced woman looking back on her youth and trying to come to terms with it. But it's just, anyway, After the
0: freak out, what they,
1: if- they essentially for better or worse, I'd say, you know, break up and, and it ends, the basement scene ends with him sort of tearfully telling her, I'll, I'll show you. And he does. They go to a nightclub. She ends up going to a nightclub with Michael Fitzsimmons, and it's sort of this, it's an R&B club that's clearly on the other side of town.
0: The brother side of town.
1: <laughs> it is.
0: I know. That's why it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Right. Go ahead.
1: And here's where we sort of find out Michael's big plan for her life. Right. And
0: see, I think this is really where her mind starts to turn from like, man, I've got all these options and there's all these great people and my life could be so much different and so much better. Michael, this idealized beatnik who she's always regretted not sleeping with, his plan is to, as soon as they graduate, take her, move to Utah where his girlfriend lives and they can raise chickens, sell the eggs for food while he writes the great American novel. Right. This is his plan. This is his and big plan. And she freaks out like, that sounds disgusting. And he's like, no, 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 no. Polygamy is legal in Utah.
1: We get an opportunity to see Charlie perform at this R&B club. That's right. Sort he's, of. he's
0: actually performing for, he got a record executive there to watch right. him Right,
1: right. So he perform. goes, but also, you know, I think Peggy Sue is starting to realize that every option sort of has its path. So her here's this sort of like, oh, I can go play around with this Michael Fitzsimmons guy who I've, who's sort of always been my, oh, I wonder what would have happened if type of guy. And and here's where that's going to lead me.
0: Not going not to, to <laughs> that's a, gonna lead me to, to crazy ch- town. To a chicken ranch in Utah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which we
0: apologize if you live in a chicken ranch in Utah. We're not trying to.
1: We have nothing against chicken ranchers. I think at this point, she just figures out she needs to get out of here or she needs to try to get out of here. And for some reason, she decides she wants to go to visit her grandparents to try to do that. Very
0: convenient. You know, very convenient. I don't know exactly how this all fit together, but she did say, you know, she did have an emotional response when her grandmother called her earlier in the film. Right. She's obviously obviously very close to them. Obviously, they had passed away. And she felt like maybe there was a, a gap or a disconnect or maybe something, something's left unsaid. And so it, it was something that she did want to do to reconnect with them while she still had a chance.
1: That she goes to visit her grandparents, ends up telling them she's from the future, and... They believe her. They believe her, and her grandfather then says, oh, I can get you home.
0: You know, that's why I really did like this movie, but it does seem very, very clunky in all of these things that actually try to address this practical problem of how did this happen and how is she going to get back? She has a conversation with the physicist nerd guy who describes time like a burrito out of nowhere. Like, no, it doesn't really make sense at all. And it
1: never goes anywhere after that. It never goes that. anywhere.
0: All of her trying to invent things and tell him where they, you know, how to make money in the future never goes anywhere. He even proposes marriage to her. This nerd guy does. But we never really have an idea uh, that it's actually going to happen. So I feel like there must have been a different screenplay or just an entire different movie shot and this is what they edited it down to because they realized like this is the the the, the main story is her and Charlie. Yeah, maybe a lot left on
1: the cutting room floor. A
0: ton of plot threads that are just kind of left dangling in this movie and the fact that she goes to visit her grandparents and her grandfather is some sort of, I don't know, we figured it was kind of like a Masonic temple kind of thing. It's not He's a exactly, lodge member. Right, that's a, all we a know. A lodge member. And so he's just like, yeah, you know, the mem- the founder of my lodge is a time traveler and we can get you back tonight. Come with me to this meeting. Isn't it good that everything is lined up perfectly for this?
1: Right, right. And Out of
0: nowhere. It makes no sense at all. And it kind of bugged me a little bit.
1: But it is a little bit strange. So, you know, they're asking you to suspend some reality and just some, I'd say, logic to a certain extent. Oh, um, yeah. Well, for sure. For sure. So she goes with her grandfather to this temple and they perform this very elaborate ceremony where she, you know, in theory disappears. But really it's because Charlie has sort of, quote-unquote, rescued her from these old crazy guys right. and pulled her into the greenhouse next door. And this is sort of their last big final, you know, what's-it-going-to-be type scene. Peggy Sue and Charlie. Peggy Sue and Charlie. Right. So she is decided that she's done. She's done with him, and she wants to just be done with it. And he is still fighting for them.
0: He's pining after her and after, and for them. he He proposes marriage to her in a very earnest and sincere and dopey way, but he really, really, really just wants to be with her. And this Charlie, he really did love her. Yeah, and you know it, it's kind of pointed out that it's his music career doesn't work out, and he kind of blames her, and so they just kind of grow apart. But he uh, basically tells her in this greenhouse scene, he's not going to pursue his music career; he's just going to work in this appliance store, which he doesn't want to do. But more of what he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want to not be with Peggy Sue. Right, and so um, it's really kind of romantic, Britt. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why this worked so much for me and it didn't for you.
1: You know, I just, again, I, I, by the time the movie's over, I'm a little tired of Charlie, I'll be honest. And it just feels a little contrived maybe, you know, he's earnest and that's sweet, but I'm, I'm with Peggy Sue, you know, I'm ready to be done. I'm ready to go back and maybe pick up the pieces, move forward. And here's this guy coming around again. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that's just my take. But okay. well, I will say, you know, towards the end of this scene, he gives her a, a birthday present. And it's, it's a locket that she is wearing at the start of the film. And it's got pictures of her two kids in it. And so when she, she gets the locket, I think that's sort of her aha moment.
2: Here. It's a birthday present. I'm tired of being the romantic fool. I'm gonna go save my car. Charlie? It opens, too. Look inside. Scott and Beth. Where did you get this? Who are Scott and Beth? Your mother gave me those. It's you and me. You know that. So are they. Oh, Charlie. I do love you. I love you.
0: You know, and I think that's where the light bulb really goes on for Peggy Sue. That whether it be marriage or a relationship, it's not gonna be perfect because we're not perfect people. We can't get to the place that we really want to be, and we can't be with the people that we really love unless we go through these ups and the downs, and that really makes us who we are. And she couldn't have had her kids, which are truly the light of her life, and she couldn't have had all of the good times and the memories with Charlie if – she hadn't given up that little part of the freedom that she was holding on to and move forward. So I think it's, you know, and you may fight me that it's poignant, but it is a good representation of the sacrifices that we make, that not everything is perfect, but ultimately imperfect companionship and love is better than quote unquote freedom.
1: Yeah, I think I I agree with that. And, you know, it may not be quite as deep and complex as as you're saying for some of our Listeners, it may—I know it wasn't necessarily that for me, but I see where you're going with it for sure. I think at the end of the day, she sort of sees that here are her children who she loves, and and just this idea that she does have a family that she loves, and she still does love Charlie, and is I think more hurt by him than doesn't love him. Right. I think it's more—I right. think it's more that she's been hurt by him. But so they reconcile. I mean, that's you know, Basically. that's they—they they do. They're in the greenhouse, and there's we have some speculation as to. The nature of that reconciliation. It's not clear, but we think that perhaps um, one of her kids was conceived in the greenhouse.
0: Right. Um, She had mentioned earlier that they had to get married because she had gotten pregnant, but we know they hadn't had sex up to that point. So my thought was they had sex in the greenhouse, she got pregnant, and kind of the timeline went on as it should have.
1: Picked up where it had left off.
0: And somehow, like in the midst of whatever happened there,
1: in the greenhouse.
0: You know, it just you know, basically fades into her lying on a hospital bed.
1: Right. So so we come back to present day.
0: That's all it takes.
1: Yeah. I mean a little little sex goes a long way.
0: I guess so. I've never been transported to another dimension, but that's okay, maybe someday.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So so we see Peggy Sue back in the hospital and, and or in the hospital sort of back in present day, and we find out that she's been in a coma, she had a heart attack. Um,
0: or a irregular heartbeat, whatever.
1: Something has happened to her. Beth is there. Helen Hunt is there, talking with her, and so is Charlie. He's in the room, and he is an older, tired.
0: But he's happy. He says he's happy.
1: Yeah, and I think that probably whatever happened to her, you know, jump maybe jump started for him some realities and some truths that he still really did care for her, or or maybe she did, did change the future well, with her. Well, he still cheated on
0: her. We know that, but. The guy, the beatnik, wrote a book and dedicated it to her. So, obviously, that really happened. Right? Yeah.
1: must some, That's so, implied. It's so certainly implied. So, this really
0: implied. happened. Charlie still cheated on her. But – so, this time travel didn't change the fundamental elements of, of their relationship. But it did – maybe change... Maybe it
1: tweaked some details.
0: Tweaked some details, and it really changed the way she saw him. She didn't see him as this person who has to be perfect. She sees him as this person who, despite his flaws and faults, does love her, which she did not believe at the beginning of the movie.
1: And again, you see that we're looking in a, at a reflection of them and that... We sort of zoom out to the reality of them, which the lighting in that scene, I think, was really critical. Because in the mirror, it's much darker as they're, you're panning out, the camera pans out. The room is actually very light. Um, and I think that, again, that might be that the movie s- ends in a very different place than it began. Mm-hmm.
0: So that was uh Peggy Sue Got Married? Yeah. Okay.
1: Apparently. I will say, listeners, I mentioned this earlier. I went into this with very different set of expectations than I came out with it. You know, actually taking the time to sit down and talk about it and break it down, there's some depth to this movie. It's not just a romantic comedy that's fluff. There's some real thought put into the into the movie. So if you are a Nick Cage fan um and have written this film off as one of his lesser works Well, you may still be right, let's be honest. It's not going to make the top ten.
0: Well, we'll get into it.
1: But I would encourage you to go back, look at it with a fresh set of eyes, let us know what you think. Right,
0: and I will just say this, going into this movie, Brett, you told me that I would hate it.
1: I did. I thought, *Cheeseville*. you will not like it.
0: Did I hate it? We'll find out after the break. (laughs) <laughs> How was that? I like Pretty it. good. Yeah. yeah, I thought I was good too. Uh, but first, of course, a musical interlude. This is a Lloyd Prince song. His biggest hit, just because. Just
3: because you left and said goodbye. Do you think that I will sit and cry?
1: are just tuning in. You missed our entire review of Peggy Sue Got Married.
0: Yes. Now I think that was intentional at this point. If you're just tuning in now, go back and listen. L- listen. To, listen to the entire. Please
1: show. do. You've. I mean, really, you've missed What's the entire. What's going on
0: with your life that you just skip ahead to the last quarter of the podcast? Go ahead. <laughs>
1: okay. Let's uh, let's talk about ratings. Okay.
0: I think we might have some some varying ratings here. Uh, Britt, entertainment level. Peggy Sue got married. Zero to four.
1: I'm going to give it a 2.5. Yeah, 2.5. Pretty solid. Um, Obviously not his best work, but we've seen worse, I think, at this point. We have a nice sort of body to go off of it's no, entertaining yeah, yeah, It's sure. entertaining.
0: i give it a three on the entertainment scale i think it was more entertaining that you're giving it credit for there was a lot of good music it kept you on your toes um as to what's going on and all the characters were really kind of exciting and inviting and you really, really didn't know what uh, nicholas cage was going to do from one scene to the next so i was completely entertained this entire movie i was laughing and not crying, but you know, got dusty in the in the room at certain points, and I thought it was great. I thought okay. it was very entertaining.
1: I will give entertainment credit where entertainment credit is due.
0: Got a three. How about artistic? Artistic merits. This is Francis Ford Coppola we're talking about. Mm. Filmmaker. Why? Is that is
1: that intended to pressure me? Philanthropist. Am I, am I supposed to give it a higher rating because it's Coppola?
0: American Patriot. Go ahead. 2.5. 2.5 on the artistic Slightly
1: scale. better than average.
0: Okay. <sighs> Let me tell you why it's a three. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Because... I mean, it was shot incredibly well. It was directed very, very well. Um, it was up for an Academy Award for cinematography. It was up for an Academy Award for costume design. Um, obviously, Francis Ford Coppola lives and dies by these period pieces, The Godfather, Godfather II. Um, he did Tucker, you know, The Outsiders, all of these cool period pieces, and, and he just does these very, very, very well. This is one of the best directors we have, and... Even on a bad day, he's good for a three in my book. So okay, ha, wow, yeah. No, I think it was you showed kind of, me. No, no, I think it was it was very well done. I think the Academy backs me up on that. Here is where I'm excited to talk about Britt. Nicholas Cage performance. This is this is a divisive question.
1: It is normally it's not. Normally we're kind of of like minds, but this is going to be our first real test. Nicolas Cage's performance in this film, for me, was a 2. Kind of right in the middle. I've seen him do better. I've seen him do a lot worse, but I have seen him do better.
0: Boring. Boring. I'm sorry. Boring rating.
1: I'm sorry. I cannot give this movie a better Cage rating than Bertie. I
0: can't. You should give it. You should give it bad. If you didn't think he was good, then you should. should I didn't say stick he was bad. I think he was, I think he was. I think he was middle of the road too. Was, he was more milk. He was warm milk. He wasn't he was. whiskey. And he, he, was, he wasn't lighter He fluid.
1: was. He was. He was a mug of tea chamomile
0: he was a or three peppermint. he was a three in this movie, a wow. strong three, a verging on a three point five and here, oh my and here is why goodness. here is why because if he did not make the choices that he did for this character, the character of Charlie in this classic American film would be nothing. It would be a two. There would be nothing special about him. There's nothing special about this guy. He's a dopey kid who wants to sing. There's nothing special about him, but he makes you care. I guarantee you, you talk to anybody who's seen this movie, and they're going to talk about Nicolas Cage and his performance, and they might hate it, and they might love it, but it is a central focal point of this movie, is these choices that he's making. This weird, crazy cartoon character of a kid... And the reason I give him a three, the reason I love this performance – I love <laughs> this performance. I can't believe we're because, having this conversation. Is because he has committed to this. It is a gutsy move and he's the only person who is who has chosen to kind of go off the reservation and act however he wants to. He thinks it's important and he does not break – He's getting pressure from the studio. He's getting pressure from his uncle, who is one of the biggest filmmakers in America at this point, and he's just like, screw you. I'm playing it this way because I think that's what works. And for me, it totally worked. And if I wasn't scared from Fallout, I would give it even a higher rating. It is it is a very unique, very inventive, very, very, very fun Nicolas Cage performance, and I just thought it was great, and I was smiling the entire time.
1: Wow. Three. Two. Vanilla.
0: Uh, it's, if anything, it's not vanilla. I think you're way off Vanilla bean.
1: There. There's a few little black dots in
0: Alright, so you know what? That's 16 out of 24. I'm a little...
1: So, listeners, I think we have tied... If memory serves me, we'll have to go back and confirm this in our records. I believe right now, Peggy Sue Got Married is tied with
0: Birdie? It is tied with with birdie
1: whoa it is tied with birdie folks we have a tie oh my goodness
0: for the best for the best reviewed nicholas cage movie
1: we have a tie
0: now yeah we have a tie all right exciting exciting stuff
1: exciting stuff finally let's do our um cage cast running totals rapid fire questionnaire
0: am i asking you or are you asking me i'm asking you is it my turn yes are you ready Are you fired up? (coughs) All right, I'm ready. Okay, great. In this movie, is Nicolas Cage a lady killer?
1: Yes, but he only kills one lady.
0: Right. Well, he's talking about killing her. um, He is a lady killer. Yes. Does he get drunk and or high?
1: No. Shocking. The first
0: first ever. He does not has not gotten drunk or high.
1: He is a sober man.
0: Does he have crazy hair? Yes. And how?
1: Oh, with a vengeance. <laughs>
0: does he have, oh, I, I hate even asking this question. Does he have a crazy voice, accent, or inflection? Do
1: we even need to? Oh. It is a yes.
0: Yeah, he sure does. Uh, cage rage.
1: No, and I, listeners, I looked long and hard for a moment of cage raids, and we don't come close. The basement scene where he's all fired up with emotion, not enough to qualify for cage rage in my book.
0: Okay, does he punch and or get punched?
1: No, no violence. Does
0: he run with a flashlight? No, You know, I had to go back back and watch because he does run in the dark when he's getting Peggy Sue out of the the
1: Sonic Temple, He but he does not have a
0: flashlight. We're getting a
1: step closer to flashlight. He runs in the dark. Exactly.
0: It's a, Step lot, closer. It'd be a lot safer if you had a flashlight.
1: Yes. That was Peggy Sue Got Married, folks. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and your thoughts on um, Peggy Sue Got Married. Are we way out of off base here? Do you enjoy the cartoonish babblings of Nicolas Cage? How like, right
0: is Nate is what you need to write in and, and tell us. How right am I? How wrong? Or
1: how wrong? We leave that in your How capable wrong hands.
0: How How right is Nate? Yeah, that's right.
1: Leave us some feedback. You can do that by emailing feedback at cagecast.com. Or you can leave us a um, voicemail by dialing 86-CAGE-CAST and tell us what you think.
0: Yes, please do. Yeah. And our next movie is 1987's Raising Arizona. Dun, 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 dun. This is the film that really, this really is it really put Nick Cage on the map.
1: This is it, folks. We have we are almost there. Right. The seminal film.
0: Have you seen *Raising Arizona*?
1: Yes, I have. It's been a long time—a long, long time.
0: Okay. Um, I, I've, I'm gonna gonna hold off on my history on that, but um, it's featuring Holly Hunter, John Goodman, Francis McDormand. Um, everybody else and of course Nicolas Cage. Obviously, I'm guessing you've seen Raising Arizona. Can you please write us in with some feedback? What do you remember about the film? Um, what do you remember about Nicholas Cage's performance in the film? Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully crossing fingers we're gonna have some interesting feedback from some interesting people come next episode. Yes, this so. is
1: this is our big one, folks. So we are asking for you to get out the vote as it were. Um, right. get get on the email let right. us know exactly. this Basically, will be the ideas, this will be the big one right.
0: we knew Raising Arizona would be coming up we've never done a podcast before and so we figured by this time we'd kind of have the kinks worked out we'd understand how this works so if this is people's first impression of Cage Cast, and what we do here, we're really going to try to pull out all the stops and make next week's episode one of the best ever. Yes, and listeners,
1: so, it's up to you to make us sound awesome.
0: Right. So please send us an mp3 of your review. We will get you on the air. Send us a voicemail by dialing 86 Cage Cast, like Britt was talking about. Um, we're just we're super excited about this podcast. We're going to do it anyway, but we would really love to see people listen and enjoy and go with us on this journey um, with CageCast. So we thank you for listening, and let's let's really get, get people excited about it.
1: Music this week can all be found on the Peggy Sue Got Married soundtrack, and our theme song was written by Chris Cornell in Soundgarden and performed by Johnny Cash. Uh,
0: remember, again, to go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. It really does help.
1: We'll be back next week, and until then, we leave you with a 21-year-old Nicholas Cage singing I Wonder Why. Thanks so much, everybody.
0: Thank you so much, everybody. See <laughs> <T-Len. laughs>
2: Know why I love you like I do Know why I do know why I Don't know why I, I can I just
3: want
2: Count on it. Oh, come on. What's your enthusiasm? Like I do. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I told my friends that we would never part. They laughed and said that you would break my heart. Oh, he really is kind of cute, isn't he? Oh, yeah. that we will part. We will He really loves you, too. You're so lucky. He's always telling Walt how wonderful you are. He is? Yeah.
1: No no
2: no 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 Carol I I hope, an and I saw that creep with your Norvick, today. First of all, he's not a, a creep. No he's an exceptional person. You'd know that if you took any time. You're just taking pity on him because he has no friends. No, if you weren't so neurotic and insecure, maybe you could shut up for a while and show some compassion. Are you for real? I don't know what you just said to her, but I wish I'd said it. Hi, Bella. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't you put this in an outtake. Nay, don't you put this in an outtake. Don't you do it. Your your fingernail I will break. I'd like to see you go and eat a steak. Outtakes. Ooh. Outtakes. (laughs) Hey, what's up? How's it going? Wish you were here for that one.